Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys, girls, goofballs, scumbags, and all that. Uh, whether you was watching the Copa Final or the Euro Final, we was doing both. Y'all know what time it is. We back at it again. It is episode 49 of the Football Misfits. I am your host, LV, a.k.a. Paper Fronto, a.k.a. My Rainey's Black Bottom, a.k.a. Buck Nasty, a.k.a. It's not coming home, is it, Ronnie? <laughs> it's going to Rome. He's going to Rome. It's going to Rome. It's going to Rome. Word to Leonardo Bonucci. Yeah, who would have thought that the uh, Euro Cup is actually Italian? Uh, it just reminds me of the the folks in the crowd that we saw uh, during the match that had the somebody was wearing a, a Mar- Super Mario uh, suit, and then the person next to them, you would think it was going to be Luigi. But it was just a, a, a pizza. <laughs> uh, all the stereotypes in the air yesterday, including the one that Eng- England doesn't win major national tournaments, unfortunately. We'll get to that, though. We'll get to that. Of course, uh, as you know, the Euros and Copa America have concluded over the past week. We should begin with uh, the road of how we got there, which means we got to run through the semifinals of the tournament. We had Spain facing off against Italy in a classic Euro uh, matchup. And then on the other side, we had England versus Denmark, who uh, Denmark who were writing a hell of a story. Uh, we'll start with Italy-Spain, two European giants. And the game went straight to penalties, uh, not before Federico Chiesa, the man who has been putting Italy and Juventus, you could argue, on his back, uh, scored a hell of a goal uh, to put them in front of Spain. Spain equalized later on after you saw some tired Italian legs through a driving run from A1, Alvaro Morata. Uh, had a little one-two with, I believe it might've been Pedri and uh, broke through the Italian lines, scored late in the 80th minute to make it 1-1 and through extra time, it was nothing but old heads and tired legs and Giorgio Cellini giving hugs, kisses, noogies and all that to Jordi Alba. <laughs> <laughs> I love seeing that. And Jordi Alba was like, "Yo, get your ass away from me." Jordi Alba was like, "Covid, man, covid." Now, uh, people are saying that that was a that might have been a sort of tactic from Chiellini just to kind of get him off his game. But I don't know. For me, it looked like because he was doing that shit from the beginning of the match. He did it to Sergio Busquets at, when uh, the match was starting, and the two captains were shaking hands and whatnot. Um, so he just looked to be in a great mood, I, and I don't know where it came from, but. It might, it might be that national anthem. But that being said, it was the Donnarumma and Italy show as Spain basically couldn't score a penalty to save their life. Uh, finishes 4-2 after Jorginho does what our boy Spencer at the data desk calls a Panera penalty. The Panera kick. Not the Panenka, but the Panera. Wait, which reminds me, I don't think I even introduced this, this part. Look at that. Uh, well, I mean, it's 49 episodes and they should know us, but if not, I go by the name of Ronnie. That's Ronnie, a.k.a. Mr. Misfits himself. But yeah, so there we go. Thoughts on this first semifinal? Because Spain, given how they were playing this tournament, they were always going to dominate possession. They were always going to hold the ball to themselves. They were going to set the tempo. But I felt like whenever Italy had possession, more often than not, they were bound to create chances. And it ended up coming to fruition in the 60th when Chiesa scored. Now, Alvaro Morata, who came off the bench, brought Spain back into this. And then, you know, when he gets the penalty, it's the ultimate 50-50 game. 
Unfortunate to see the first two penalty takers for either side, Locatelli and Daniolo miss. And then Alvaro Morata missing the penalty, which set up Jorginho to take that Panera. But yeah, all in all, I, I, I knew from jump Italy was going to win the game, but Spain were just going to dominate regardless. What say you? Yeah, um, so I think at this point in the tournament, we've seen that Spain's midfield is pretty dominant on the ball, good at controlling matches. Um, and we saw that again, you know, we saw the rise of Pedri today. You know, the kid is pretty much under 18. I think he's 17 or might have just turned 18. Koke, we know what he's done at Atletico Madrid. And then Sergio Busquets, the uh, Barcelona veteran. Um, I think for me, the big thing coming into this match was uh, Spinazzola's injury. And he was replaced by Emerson. And I think we spoke about this off the pot. It just looked like Italy were much less dangerous on their uh, left-hand side with Lorenzo and Senior, where we've seen him be able to have the space to cut in and, you know, shoot, uh, you know, on that nice little right foot he got, which, you know, we've seen him score, I think, two goals already from that sort of position of him cutting in from the left, scoring on his right. And that was all granted because Spinazzola was up and down the pitch, you know, making those runs, dragging defenders wide and things like that. So without him, and Senior was a bit more quiet in this game, but it didn't really matter because... For me, it looked like Italy, as you said, you know, were very strong in pos- uh, it, when they had possession and they were very direct. I mean, that goal came off of three passes, maybe four passes. And that's like been their story this entire tournament. Uh, just getting straight to the point, not beating around the bush, not passing around 55 times in the box before coming to a, an attacking sequence, not doing what England's been doing. You know, they get right to it. And so that's where the goal came from. And it was a bit of magic from Chiesa as he's been doing all tournament. Um, Luis Enrique, I think he uh, had a really smart plan in terms of having Alvaro Morata on the bench and having Dani Olmo and Oyarzabal playing. Did I pronounce that right? You landed it. <laughs> hey, hey, look at that. Um, but I think he, you know, <clears throat> had those two guys on sort of a counter to to uh, Italy's, you know, loss of Spinazzola and, you know, having those guys able to press the defenders and just give them the space to operate and give the midfield space to control the, the you know, the ball, um, which they did exactly that. Um, but ultimately, you know, Italy drew, drew blood first, which made Spain have to chase the game. And luckily... For them, um, Alvaro Morata came in and played very direct, took it right to the Italians and got that goal off of a very beautiful one-two setup. Penalties, I mean, you you mentioned it. Uh, Spain just didn't look like they were ready for the occasion. They probably were spent after last week's, after the last go-around against Switzerland. But yeah, they looked absolutely spent. Locatelli missed his penalty. But from there, the Italians were absolutely cl- clinical in all theirs. I think the biggest thing to take away from it, in my opinion, is that Luis Enrique really took the Spanish side, who we mentioned had was depleted because of COVID. He also even took two less players than he could have and took him to the semifinal with a young cast, uh, you know. And um, I think the future is bright for this young Spanish side. So Luis Enrique, I mean, did his thing. And that's the one thing I can take away from that semifinal. But yeah. I think it gives the Spanish a feeling that, okay, you know what, we're in a bit of a rebuild, but we have got a lot of potential and can do, you know, play well in the the coming tournaments. So they've got a a bright future ahead of them with Luis Enrique. But the Italians with Mancini have an even brighter future as that landed them a spot in the final. Yes, sir. Their opponent would be determined the day after their game by England v. Denmark. And that game was controversial to say the least. It started off in the 30th minute with a Mikkel Domsgaard banger. And what a call it was. 
had to be a Christian Eriksen-esque free kick from that far out from the guy who had to replace Christian Eriksen based on what happened. It just writes itself, doesn't it? Hey, man. It was a story that was playing out. We thought that it was going to have a Hollywood ending, but Simon Kerr, the Danish captain, was the unfortunate recipient of an own goal, which, in all fairness, looking at the play, it was a great build-up play between Saka and Sterling. The link of play with them would have been great. So Kyrie was just caught in the middle of that. That set it up for 1-1. We take this into extra time. Harry Kane, he misses a penalty, and then he scores on the rebound after the penalty was saved by Peter Schmeichel. Casper Schmeichel, whoa. I thought I thought this was 0-92 for a minute. <laughs> I thought this was 0-92. Um, nah, he took his no. back. He took his back. We ain't that old, fam. <laughs> Kane scores off the Casper Schmeichel save, and that's how it would end. But the controversy was how Kane will even got to the spot in the first place because Raheem Sterling, he goes down in the box after allegedly Joachim Mella fouled Raheem Sterling in the penalty area. So that's apparently what had happened. Um, a lot of people saying it wasn't much of a penalty. It wasn't like he forcibly pushed him into the ground. And when you look at replays and stuff like that, you could see that Sterling's already going down. Pretty much sells the penalty. Very soft decision. So much so that Mark Clattenberg, who ESPN was relying on for their officiating expertise, said that he probably wouldn't have given it himself. Yeah, no, I, I think it was a soft penalty. I think I could see why it was called as a penalty. Um, I think just the stakes of it definitely raises like you know the awareness that dang it's really a soft penalty or a harsh call but i mean i, I could see it given i could see it not given and unfortunately for the Danes, it was given i wouldn't have given it i mean the contact is there but enough to warrant a penalty when the man is already going down yeah now because there was contact before then on his on his ankle or shin then he passes that tackle and then gets the hip check, which I think can be the hip opinion, check is what sold everything, in my opinion. Right, and I I think the only thing that's bothering me is that sometimes you know, uh, like the hip check doesn't necessarily mean it's a foul. You know, you're just fighting for the ball there. But I think it's because he was stumbling already, and he's already off balance. Then the hip check there, plus like you said, he's sort of selling it. Really thin margins there. Yeah, some refs will give it, some refs won't. And I can get it, but I personally just wouldn't have. It's kind of brutal, I guess you could say, for a game to end on a penalty like that, albeit Harry Kane's penalty was trash. Came through not ready to take that one. Uh, Catcher Schmeichel, you know, because from my experience, from what I've seen, Harry Kane usually goes low, hard, and to the left. And um, I'm assuming Catcher Schmeichel probably paid attention and, and, and knows that, seeing Harry Kane often play in, in the same league, obviously. So it looks like he might have overthought it and went hard low to the right. Schmeichel was there. But unfortunately for Schmeichel, uh, couldn't keep the ball. And it kind of parried right into Harry Kane's uh, path. Him being a striker and a poacher, he was up on his toes from the jump. As soon as he saw it not land in uh, Schmeichel's uh, gloves safely, he was on that motherfucker. And it ended up in the bottom left corner where he probably should have put, put it there initially. So much more around that one moment. For example, while that was happening, there was another ball on the pitch. And then when <laughs> the penalty was about to be taken, 
there was a laser pointed at Smichael. And it's a green laser point. Like, where you get green from? I thought all laser pointers was like red. Who got a green laser pointer? <laughs> but that still happened. So um, that actually led to UEFA opening up some disciplinary actions and to the point where the FA were fined for not only those offenses, but as well as the fans booing the Danish anthem and the fireworks that went off at Wembley after the match. Which I thought was wild, like, bro, it's not the final. <laughs> That's what you call getting too hyped too early. Oh, my gosh, that they were. And we're going to get to the final right now, but last point on Denmark. You could say, like, their run to this point was fueled by the Ericsson incident. But like we mentioned last week, this is a Denmark side who was really good they were deserving semifinalists and you just hate to see when the game went on like they were in it throughout most of the game but once you got to like the latter part of the second half and the whole of extra time you could just see that they were running on e like they gave it on until they just couldn't anymore all in all you know like you said we wanted to see the hollywood ending uh denmark ride this this story you know to the end being not only underdogs but just having everything that they've been through and then making it this far and playing with the way they've been playing you know probably i would say second or you know second second or third best football behind you know italy and but yeah i mean it wasn't meant to be and to be fair as you mentioned i mean they just sort of gave it everything and when their coach subbed their players late on in the match it just seemed like they didn't really add anything to the game uh they took off their best guys and it was sort of over from there I, even though I felt that, you know, Yusuf Paulson has been having a pretty good tournament. He came on and didn't really have much of an impact. Uh, it looked like England just had more firepower, were much more in the game, uh, controlled the game a lot more. Uh, England were, were the better team on the day. Still came down to a controversial finish, which you hate to see. Um, but, yeah, them, the Danes gave it all they had, and they walk home, I think, with their heads held high. But I think great achievement, great accomplishments based on what they did. Made it to the semifinals after losing their best player. England uh, ce celebrating a bit too prematurely. <laughs> Not the fireworks in the semifinal. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But um, yeah, England made it to the, the first final in 55 years. The showcase event of the Euros, the grand final, Italy and England, which got started really early, second minute. Harry Kane finds here in Trippier, who in turn provides Luke Shaw with a beautiful ball, and he one-times it into the back of the net. Donnarumma couldn't really do much for the fastest goal ever at the Euros. Oh, man, what a rocket. England. That was beautiful. What a rocket. And, and we said, I mean, Luke Shaw, who having a hell of a tournament, just really finding his confidence and probably being, you know, one of England's best players in the tournament. Doing everything, Ooh. assisting everybody. Otis, you're not a fan of Luke Shaw? Jose Mourinho over here. Um, but yeah, doing everything, uh, assisting, and then just, just got everything but that goal. And when you saw that goal go in, I was like, nobody deserved it more than he did here. And what a goal it was to start the match off. Absolutely. That set the tone for England in the first half. They were pressing forward. Italy looked like they were shell-shocked. 
But as the game went on, you could see Italy were regrouping themselves. They started to have a better second half. And it showed when Leonardo Bonucci scored off of a little bit of a scrum. The ball was just going places except the goal. Hit the inside of the post. But Bonucci just poked it in to level the score. Yeah, and I mean, you you could see from there that, you know, Italy sort of grew into the game. Um, it looked like England, after scoring that goal, the energy was there in their home stadium. The crowd is going crazy. And they rode that energy for all about 20 minutes. <laughs> and you would have hoped that England could, you know, score maybe another goal there, following up with that energy because it was electric in there. But Italy being, you know, the defensive veterans and having the experience of Bonucci and Chiellini that, you know, that they have, rode it out, you know, had England pressed at that point and just grew into the game um, up until that point in the second half, as you mentioned, when they were threatening England's players more than I've seen uh, all tournament. And ultimately that scramble in the box, ball ends up in the back of the net from who? Leonardo Bonucci. And it was game on, 1-1, one, one, with time to go. Then the match goes into extra time. The one moment that looked to be the most controversial of extra time was when Jorginho and Jack Grealish both go for the ball. And you see Jorginho kind of putting his boot on Grealish's thigh, going for the ball. Jorginho gets a yellow, while the majority of people, at least the people we were with, thought that that was a straight red offense. And before that, I forgot, I even forgot to mention <laughs> Giorgio Chiellini just pulling the shit out of Bukayo Saka. Like, get your ass over here. Like, a parent yeah. pulling their child. Um, yeah. Both on those two yellow card incidents. Yeah, um, I'll just say that I know Michael Oliver was at home like, yo, if I was there, <laughs> I'm pulling the red card out right now. <laughs> he was at home itching to pull a red card out. Uh, but, I mean, I think the Grealish one, so for me, obviously the Chiellini one was Senegal, clear as day. Saka had him beat, um, and he just wasn't going to let him pass him. I just feel like the closer it gets to the opponent's goal and a player does a Senegal tackle, the, light, the higher likelihood that there should be you know, a red card or whatever. I believe if it was in the box or very close to the box, which it kind of was, but if it was in the box and he made that sort of tackle, it'd be a clear penalty. And then I think then he would be given the red. But anything other than that, it's going to be a yellow for Chiellini. But the Jorginho one on Grealish, we know Grealish got some thick-ass thighs, strong calves. But that doesn't mean that you could stab, you know, poke him with your studs like that. Uh, that was a pretty harsh tackle. I could see a red given. But for me personally, it's a final. You just got to call it what it is, a crunching tackle. And leave it at, leave it at that. Take your yellow. Um, I'm happy that it wasn't a red given. Yeah, um, from what I was seeing, Jorginho goes for the ball, and then Grealish just got caught in that. How can you miss his big-ass thighs? That boy Which, got tree trunks. <laughs> no reds were given out, like you said. A lot of reds could have been given out, but there were definitely more yellows to be had, specifically five for the Italians with Harry Maguire getting one in extra time, the lone yellow card for England. And then that's pretty much it. But before we go into the penalties, we see Gareth Southgate making a pair of substitutions, specifically Henderson, who came on as a sub, coming off, as well as Kyle Walker for Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho. And when those subs came, there was like about... a 
a few minutes left before penalties, and I'm telling Spencer this, yo, these are penalty subs. And he's looking at me like, are these guys good at penalties? I'm like, I don't know. But these subs were specific for penalties. Yeah, and the fact that he made those penalty subs, uh, we spoke about it off air. You usually make those when you when you know the guys are are penalty kick takers, and you know these folks are kids. Um, Marcus Rashford, I mean, we've seen him make penalties. We've seen him miss penalties. He's certainly not stamped as a go-to penalty kick taker. It's not like, uh, for example, the Europa League final. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did the sort of same thing. Made some. He made two penalty subs, maybe three. One of them being Juan Mata who scored a penalty that no keeper would ever save. You can tell that he was assured in his penalty, right? That's a penalty uh, sub that you want to make when you know the guy's going to be that good. And then Alex Tellez, who also scored a ridiculous penalty that no keeper would save. Somebody who's clearly assured in that. Coach, listen, I'm a penalty kick taker. If it comes to it, call on me. But uh, Southgate decided to give the young boys a chance. Um, and I think we agree on is that these are unproven players when it comes to penalties you know these players are 50 50 we, we we've seen Rashford make big penalties you know the PSG one comes to mind in the Champions League uh, we've also seen him miss big penalties we've seen him miss regular penalties as well so he's not confirmed as a you know as a go-to penalty guy um Sancho I can't necessarily speak on but Kyle Saka the same thing the kids eight, just turned 18 um so the fact that you know, he made those pen subs like, oh, these kids are going to be good penalty takers. He might have must have seen something about them in training. But as Spencer mentioned yesterday off mic, you can't recreate that situation. And especially in a Euro in a Euro final, there's no recreating that. So you just don't know until you know. Exactly. Until you get put in the situation and were they ever thrusted into the situation? Absolutely. Southgate to get your ass in there. And, Domenico uh, Bernardi scored the first penalty, which followed up by Harry Kane scoring. Italy missed a pair, the first being Andrea Bellotti. After he missed his, Harry Maguire had the best penalty of the lot. No saving that shit. Yeah, Harry Maguire, the refrigerator. Where where he get them skills at? <laughs> see, that, that was a very solid penalty. Great to see. Um, Jordan Pickford coming up with a big save uh, on Jorginho. Yes. And I think what was interesting was that you saw you saw him before the, the kick was taken saying, like, it's calm, it's calm. Like, I got this, basically. And um, we've, we've been seeing a lot of that. Keepers getting vocal. And, um, yeah, saves Jorginho's penalty. And then from there, Ronnie. Of course, Bukayo Saka had his save, which ended England's bid to win the Euro. 3-2 was the final on penalties. 1-1 in full time. Italy win the Henri Delaunay Trophy for the first time since 1968. Jeez. This competition clearly doesn't favor them. But it did on the night. And it did a, on the a, night. If there's a team that it doesn't favor more, it's the English. <laughs> but. <laughs> Unfortunate. Sticking on to the, sticking to the English. So we're hearing... The order of the penalty takers was all Gareth Southgate. Yes. And, and yeah, I do have a, a question for you in regards to, I mean, and I know you've got something as well to say about this, but um, in regards to that order, um, and you know you've got some young guys, unproven guys taking penalties. Should Bakayo Saka be, take the last pen? Should he be the guy to take the last penalty? Saka should not even be anywhere near top five. Should not be anywhere near top five. 
if it gets to the point where, like, all right, eight, nine, because I've never seen Bukayo Saka in a penalty shootout. Right. I yeah. would have thrown in someone like a Raheem Sterling, definitely Jack Grealish. Yeah, Grealish came out afterwards and said he wanted to take a pen badly. He, he did say that. I'd even throw in Luke Shaw to take a pen. Yeah, I mean, and these guys obviously much older than the Bukayosaki. You know, the the fairy tale story is there. If he makes it, nobody's saying any of this. You know, but um, right, the, it's, it's know, all the, easy to say in hindsight. Right, exactly, and so, but I think the one thing that I will say is that I think that that pressure should be on someone like Harry Kane instead, someone who's an experienced finisher who takes pens and makes pens. Um, you know, for having I would have loved to see Bukayosaki go first. Or Rashford or Sancho go earlier in the lineup and save the big one for Kane. Although I can understand, obviously, you know, you want to you want to start on a good foot. You want to you you don't want to miss your opening pens or the second or third. You want to be competing all the way through it. You know, even if it does make it to the last pen. But I feel like putting the pressure on it on the young guys to 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 take the big kicks last when you have someone that's experienced that can score that probably will score. I don't know. If it was me, I, I think that's what I would have done. I would have had Kane take the, one of the later penalties just to I give that boost of confidence. Him, I would have saved Saka and Sancho, at least Saka, for sudden death if it got there. Because yeah, at yeah. that point, when he took his, if he made it, the penalty shootout would have gone into sudden death. He missed it, it ended, because Jorginho missed his. If Jorginho right. had made it, it would have been over then and there. Um but again, all of this is easier to say in hindsight. Um, right, absolutely, absolutely. And we were watching this at our favorite pub. So, like, at the moment, I'm celebrating with the Italian folk. It takes me until I get home to see how distraught Bukayo Saka was at the end of that. <clears throat> yeah, he's you know. got a feel for the man. Like, he's yeah. not even in his 20s. This is a big pressure moment for him. You know he'd want to do it for his country. And it's just sad to see him, like, him breaking down like that. Gareth Southgate, who missed the penalty himself in Euro 96, first want to go to him. Then you saw everyone else in the England camp going to him. And, and of course, like the sad part is that he's going to get abused online for that, which at this point he already had, which is definitely not warranted. Definitely bullshit. Say what you want. If you were supporting England or Italy or whoever, definitely doesn't deserve that shit. Yeah, I, I think somebody on Twitter put it perfectly. Um, you know, they're colorblind when they're winning and when they're losing, all they see is color. You know, and so uh, it's unfortunate for soccer. You know, you mentioned in that position, he makes it, he's a hero. He, or not even a hero, he keeps his team in it. And if he misses, you know, it's it's, it's all on him. Um, and you know, young boy, it's different than Mbappe missing his penalty. Obviously, Mbappe's got some years on soccer. He's already got a world World Cup under his belt, sort of established. And you add that to the fact that England haven't made it to a final of a major tournament in fifty five years. You know, the pressure is sort of <clears throat> as big as it gets for the young boy. But you know, it is what it is, and he missed. And uh, uh, you just hate to see the the you know the abuse going on online, not only for him but for Sancho, for Rashford. Right. Uh, how quickly they turn on you, and this, that, things like that, I think, is what make people not root for England. 
you know, it's um, uh, uh, that plus the, the booing, you know, of national anthems. They booed the Danish anthem. They booed the Italian anthem as well. And yeah, it's also the arrogance know. of it all from some English. Like, we're about to get into Italy in a moment, but again, we're talk. We're at we're at a pub. We're all talking and socializing with people. Someone goes talks to an English guy in a red England kit, and he's and she's like, regardless of what happens, you could say that either team would deserve it. You could say Italy deserves it, and you could say England would deserve it. The guy's like, no, why not? He says verbatim because England conceded fewer goals than Italy. That is why England deserves the Euro more than Italy. I hear this, and I'm going to like one of the one well, of the other and some other England guy next to me, and I'm like, "Yo, bro, this is a weak ass argument to stand on." <laughs> That's buddy opinion. <laughs> you could keep that to yourself. <laughs> I, I, and he says this as if this know. was a firm reason and like the sole reason why England should win. But again, that's a that was a stupid argument to stand on, and. Like, that's England. Now we're looking on the other side. Italy. Again, first Euros in 68. This comes after missing the World Cup in Russia. And uh, a lot of people had Italy as dark horses. Not many people had them winning it. They made that run. And a lot of people, they were shitting on Italy. Oh, Italy didn't really play anybody. Or to Gary Neville. They really didn't do much this tournament. But, yeah, they defeated the number one ranked team in the world. They defeated a Spanish team who, albeit, was better than them. Austria. Yeah, you can say Austria, a small nation, but a small nation with some talents. They got to the final in the end. And um, this couldn't have happened without guys like Donnarumma in between the sticks. Homeboy is 15 with, like, 200 caps. <laughs> Federico Chiesa up top, who started the tournament on the bench. But, you know, Roberto Mancini saw how good he was, and he couldn't put him away from the starting 11. He just couldn't anymore. And their back line, specifically Chiellini, Bonucci, and before the injury, Spinazzola. So it, it was a team effort. You could even shout to Jorginho. So much so that people are praising him to be the Ballon d'Or winner. Speaking Italy, of stupid arguments. <laughs> that aside... This Italy team were very good. They showed out. Yeah, they conceded more goals in England, but that doesn't mean shit. Italy, I would say, were deserving winners on the game and of the whole competition. Yeah, um, well said. And what I can just add to that is that big ups to Roberto Mancini, you know, um, took over the spot. And, you know, you could argue some saying he's washed and this, that, and the third, but took an Italian, you know, side full of young players and, you know, just an old backbone, if you will. And, you know, really made them into a, a you know, quote unquote club atmosphere, a club team. And you kind of saw that with, you know, you mentioned Frederico Chiesa starting on the bench. Every player on that squad contributed in some way, shape or form. And, um, I, you know, I read stories of um, Mancini, you know, getting left out of the, uh, you know, 1990 Italian World Cup squad and, him having a hot temper and saying he'll never play for the team again and, you know, not playing due to certain reasons, even though he was a very good player. And it just seems that he's given everybody on that squad a shot and they all have a purpose in that team. 
And, you know, e even so much so where in the, their first match or that was their second match when um, he subbed on Salvatore Sirigu, the goalkeeper for Donnarumma late in the game, just to have him between the sticks and get some game time at a major tournament. You know, things like that. Um, they, the, the togetherness was there. Everybody played their position or from Chiesa, Pacina, you know, Berardi, everybody was playing their position. And it was, it, it, you know, led by those two old heads in the back, Bonucci and Chiellini. And it, it, it culminated in them making it to the finals, beating Belgium, you know, beating Spain. And, you know, I think the you can't really argue who deserves what and how they deserve, whatever the case may be. They, they played who was in front of them, made it to a final. Um, and yeah, I feel like the two teams, in my opinion, that looked like they were the most together, both made it to the final in England and Italy. Um, and then on the day, Italy just showed that, you know, uh, that they they were the better side, if you will. Uh, it finished in penalties so that you can even argue that, but um, they're taking the cup home, first cup since 1968. Roberto Mancini has the boys on a high, and I'm excited to see what they'll look like uh, next December at the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, big ups to Mancini, big ups to Italy. They came into the tournament, you know, 20-something matches unbeaten, finishing it in total 31 matches unbeaten with only three draws in there. Um, and that was all before the Euros. So to think about just that there, it, it, it's kind of crazy that they were seen as an underrated side coming into the tournament. But next, the world, during the now in the World Cup process, teams will be preparing for them. Um, and, you know, we'll be watching them much more closely, it seems. So they absolutely have the chance to, you know, to continue to prove teams wrong and show that they are a world power and not, you know, the same team that didn't qualify for the last World Cup. Yes, and that's the thing. Like, it was pointed out to me that Italy, since winning the 2006 World Cup, failed to make it out of the group stage in the next two World Cups in South Africa and Brazil. And in 2018, they didn't even make the World Cup. I have one particular friend who harpens on that point very much. Like, oh, Italy is good, but are they really? This Euro team pretty much says, yeah, they still are. Yeah, like every team has their fuck-ups. Italy have their down point, and now they're on a high point. They're the European champions, fitting European champions. They could win the Nations League this October. And, of course, there's the World Cup, which Italy should definitely be considered favorites for after winning this. They have to be in the conversation now. They just have to be. Yeah, and they're, they're a country, despite what they go through or despite their downs or whatever, they're always in the conversation. They always somehow make it in. Um, you know, this is a team that has four World Cups under their belt. Um, you know, so... You know their most recent one being in this in this century. You know, um, just four World Cups ago, which you can argue is a long time, but you know you could also argue that it's not that long of a time. So they they you know they have their ups and downs, and I mean they've won a Euros now and a World Cup just you know under what fifteen years ago. So like for the sentimental aspect, this tournament is being played a year after it was supposed to because of the pandemic. Italy was ground zero for COVID. Yeah, and one of the world the, centers for COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And to see that things are getting back up to normal as much as they can, Italy, definitely a nation that needed some type of hope. They definitely needed some type of 
inspirations and some some you know get their minds off of the year and a half that they went through in particular of course the whole world did but for Italy to be ground zero and then they host the opening match and then come the final match they win it all that's a story for itself and again looking at it from the sentimental POV yeah well said again this is one of the major tournaments that ended this weekend the other one being Copa America that also saw its finality in Brazil, Elvi. <clears throat> Brazil. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Speaking of the hosts, they took on Peru in the first semifinal. They met in the group stage, and Brazil washed Peru for nothing. But yeah, and this this game was very much not that. It was definitely not gonna be that. Um, Brazil. All lone goal came from Lucas Paqueta in the 35th minute. If you're asking me, Lucas Paqueta has been one of Brazil's best players up top. Absolutely. He's been on fire. And, I mean, if it's not Neymar, well, him and Neymar getting, you know, together and um, finding a way to get back to the net, but he's taken every chance that's come to him. And in this game particularly, a wild run from Neymar, a wild setup, and guess who's there to finish it? Lucas Paqueta. Lucas Paqueta currently at Leon, 23-year-old, definitely made a name for himself this tournament. And I'm surprised, not at least to me, and I'm surprised not that many people are talking about how good of a tournament he's at. Like, yeah, Neymar always is going to get the center of attention, and for, for what it's worth, he did have a good tournament. And in the defense, Marquinhos did. Casemiro, but Lucas Paqueta, yeah. uh, like sort of kind of like Federico Chiesa, started the tournament on the bench, but then when DJ saw how good he is, you can't leave him off the starting 11. You have to include him. And I think it's he's very much like showing something that Brazil, I feel like, has been lacking in a you know through and through goal threat. Even though they have Roberto Firmino, even though they have Gabriel Jesus, you know, someone that is taking the chances and can and continue when they take the chances, you know, taking a little bit of pressure off Neymar. Um, and he's been exactly that. Like we said, every chance that he's been given, he, he's taken. And um, at 23 years old, that's a bright spot for Brazil's future. He's definitely going to be called up more often. Again, I would see him going to a bigger club. I'm not saying that Leon isn't a big club, but, you know, we know how people rate Legon. But I think he, he was at AC Milan at one point. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was at, yeah, he was at Milan. Yep, he was at Milan last season, uh, two seasons ago now. He was at Milan, and then he got his senior start at Flamengo. Yeah. And he was on the Brazil team that finished as the winners of Copa America, but he really didn't, you know, get much playing time. He didn't score in that Copa. He had two goals in this Copa America. But, again, definitely an impact player for Brazil. Yep, and um, had that long goal in the semifinal against Peru. After that goal, Brazil did a great job of being threatening, but also containing their their lead and keeping uh, Lapadula away from the back of the net because he's been eating this tournament and match finishes 1-0. Brazil booked themselves a ticket to the final at home at the Maracanã. The next day, Argentina and Colombia in the second semifinal from the Brazilian capital, Brasilia. These two teams, um, coincidentally enough, were supposed to be the original hosts of Copa America before Colombia had political issues and Argentina had COVID to combat. But that aside, 
Lionel Messi, when he's getting pressured, he finds a good ball in the box for Lautaro Martinez to open up the scoring. one nothing there. And then no score until the second half when Luis Diaz scores for Colombia. Awkward part of the um, box for him to score, but he finds the back of the net. Incredible goal. His end counting second golazo of the tournament. He's just full of it. We were we kind of sing his praises, and we'll get to it. But this match, instead of playing 120, they go straight into penalties. The only time they'll play the extra time is in the final. So once that happened, we went straight into the penalties. Messi makes his first. And then Juan Cuadrado makes his first. Rodrigo de Paul sends that shit back to Buenos Aires. <laughs> but what, what I found amazing, and I know you agree with me, and we, we have to talk about this. Emiliano Martinez, the goalkeeper for Argentina. I did not know that man to be a shit talker. But seeing those penalties and the ability to hear everything since there's nobody there, he is a master shit talker. Boy. Oof. Yeah, like, he's absolutely getting in the heads of the Colombian players. And I love that you, we could we could sort of hear him uh, because there's nobody in the, in the stadium. Um, but yeah, carry on. He was, he was wild. Got into their heads. Like some of the words he was saying to these guys, like, you cagón. You piece of shit like piece of shit oh save sanchez's and then yeti mina oh yeti mina when colombia beat uruguay in the quarterfinal once he made his penalty he was standing around celebrating in front of the uruguayan keeper and then emmy was on some all right go ahead bitch go ahead <laughs> he said go ahead dance then you like to dance right <laughs> oh, he got his penalty saved, and then when he was walking back, well, before he even walks back, um, yeah, probably shit hilarious. Martinez hits him with a pelvic thrust, like, <clears throat> oh. and then when Mina walks back, Messi can be heard talking about, yeah, go ahead, dance now, bitch, dance yeah, even now. Even Messi was heated. Even Messi was heated at talking about go ahead, dance. Why don't you dance now? So safe to say, yeah, I mean it. Uh, you know, uh, Emmy Martinez definitely got into his head he said i know where you're going just shoot it and the thing is he would talk shit up until the kick was taken uh just getting all in the players heads and it came to a point where he was going so hard that the ref was like yo you gotta chill like <laughs> you're doing so much <laughs> you gotta chill and that was pretty funny to see but made what then, three saves in that Lautaro made his Borja made his and then cardona for colombia yeah, who scored? Was it Luis Diaz that scored and did that funny dance in front of him? <laughs> no, it was um, Miguel Borja. He scored. He scored and stopped in front of Martinez because Martinez was talking that shit. And we're so he, he, stopped, he stops in front of Martinez. He scores a fire one and then yells like into the net. And then he uh, stops, like literally mid-celebration, stops in front of Martinez and then shuffles. <laughs> Again, I can't, I can't. It doesn't escape me that Martinez is a master shit talker. Like again, I don't, I didn't know this man to be like that. But here he Absolutely. is. I didn't hear. I agree. Of shit and stuff like that. I'm gonna eat your ass up, boy. Like yo. <laughs> I'm gonna eat your ass up. <laughs> yeah, we did not see that come because I mean, this is a guy like we said who was on Arsenal's bench for ten seasons. You know, uh, and wow. someone who just sort just sort of started making a name for himself here. And then, um, you know, just being able to see him in his environment in a high pressure situation, you know, a semifinal, he showed up. He, or we saw him as who he was, 
a, a master shit talker. He was talking that shit. Uh, it reminds me of Tim Crow in the uh, World Cup 14 against Costa Rica when uh, he was subbed on by Louis, Louis Van Gaal and, you know, just did some weird dances and shit and saved mad penalties to, to knock out Costa Rica. But Emmy Martinez, I've never seen a keeper just take over a shootout like that, you know, and get in players' heads and, and make three saves, go exactly where the ball was going and say, like, it was commanding. Like, he took, he took over the entire shootout. It had nothing to do with the Argentina players who scored their pens. But it was all about Emmy Martinez, who was saving anything in his path. Three saves in a penalty shootout. Ridiculous. Yeah, man. We, we, we'd get to see him in the final. But before that, there was some business to take care of at Brasilia. The third place match between Colombia and Peru. This was some game. If we're talking about favorite games of the week. This would be one of them. Yoshi Mariutun currently plays in Mexico. He scores the first goal. He's also responsible for Juan Cuadrado's free kick that went through the wall because Yutun turned his back to it. 1-1 one, one there. Luis Diaz, he scores another goal. Then Gianluca Lapadula scores to level up the scoring 2-all. And then garbage time, leaving it for dead. Penalties are imminent. Golazo, banger from Luis Diaz to give Colombia the win and third place at Copa America. 3-2 was the final. Luis Diaz, man. Gotta give this man some flowers. Absolute monster this tournament. Um, a couple episodes back, Maria Isabel, who was rooting for her home nation, Colombia, told us that, listen, we're good at one thing, and that's scoring goals of the tournament. And it seems like Luis Diaz took that to heart because <laughs> he, he gave us not one, not two, but three of the best goals I've seen in the tournament. He just wouldn't stop innovating. He's like, Oh, I'm at the touchline. This is going out for a corner. Nah, I'm scoring that. He's doing backflip, bicycle kicks. He's scoring from 50 yards out. Like this guy's nuts, you know. So absolutely, you know, a hell of a tournament for him. He had everything, and he came with it. He said, "Listen, if we're not going to win this tournament, there's no way we're not getting the best goal. No way." <laughs> he finished as joint top scorer along with Messi. Um, but now Luis Diaz, he was amazing this tournament. He was Colombia's best player. You could also throw in Juan Cuadrado and David Ospina there, but Luis Diaz stands out from the lot. If you were to come up with a combined 11 for Copa America, you cannot leave this man off. Fact. He, he was all over the tournament. Uh, he made a, a huge impact for Colombia. And, you know, it showed. It showed in his goals. It's it just against big nations as well, you know. And um, hell of a tournament for him. Absolutely agree with you. He should be on any uh, Copa America 11. Big ups to him. Joint top score with Messi. It's a big deal. And, I mean, he scored three more golazos than, than Messi. So that should count for something. <laughs> 24 years old, currently at Porto. Ceiling is high. That leaves one final game in Copa America. And that was the final between two bitter rivals, Argentina and Brazil. This was a bit different because there was actually some atmosphere. The government at Rio de Janeiro permitted 10% capacity at the Maracanã, which amounted to 7,800. Tickets were free of charge. I'm assuming people had to provide negative COVID tests in order to be there. One small section was Brazilian, one small section was Argentine. The only moment of note at least to me, Angel Di Maria scoring a goal, which was 
Just an amazing ball, amazing awareness of the field by Rodrigo De Paul to find Di Maria onside, makes a run, chips the goalkeeper Ederson, similar to the goal he scored back at the Olympics against Nigeria. Again, also in the final, the gold medal match. Nice ball. I think it was Messi who found Di Maria. Another chip of the keeper. It, it just reminded me of that vividly. And then that was the final. one nothing there. Argentina wins their first Copa America since 1993. It is their first competitive win in Brazil, specifically at the Maracanã. And Lionel Messi wins his first senior trophy with the national team. Huge uh, moment for him. Been criticized uh, years upon years of not winning anything for Argentina. Sitting in the shadows of Diego Maradona, who you'll still probably be sitting in. Uh, these shadows because this isn't the World Cup, but it's a big trophy for Messi, the Copa America, over their biggest rivals in Brazil. In Brazil, or should I say Brazil? Yeah, I think uh, the one moment, I would say two moments for me stuck out. One of them, uh, midway through the match, Messi goes for a retrieval tackle and there's like some scissors tackle. I'm like, who is this center back? And I look and it's Lino Messi. Uh, something, <laughs> something you don't see every day. And then obviously that ball from Rodrigo de Paul. Uh, and I, I think I mentioned, you know, that goal from Di Maria. I don't know what was better. The ball, Di Maria's first touch outside of the foot, boom, sets it down. He looks like he's like, all right, you know what? I could shoot, shoot with the right, but I am left-footed. Let's just make this tough on myself. Chips that the was, keeper with the second touch. Unbelievable. That was beautiful all around. Yeah, Edison was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> he just, you know, when, <laughs> it, when, it, <laughs> when a player just hits you with that class, and that's what Di Maria is capable of, you know, those moments. and. Delivering big, too, you know, scoring it in the final, the lone goal of that match. Although uh, I will say that very controversial with the referees. Um, I feel like so many calls just didn't go Brazil's way. So many calls. To the point where at, at some point I'm like, this, this, these are, this is too many calls that aren't going Brazil's way. It almost felt kind of fixed, but well, I won't go that far. Um, you know, neither here nor there. Neymar was in absolute tears at the end of the match. Another moment that I can remember, and I can just feel Ronnie at home watching that, rubbing his hands together. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> the specific term you used was Ronnie smoking that Neymar pack. <laughs> Ronnie seeing Neymar cry. Excellent. <laughs> Ronnie looking like R.I.P. Bozo. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, we saw uh, uh, an embrace of Messi and Neymar, two former teammates. Uh, that was nice to see. And then Messi lifting a cup that's bigger than him, also nice to see. Uh, but big shout out to Argentina. Great tournament that they had, um, a great run, and we'll see if they can carry that on to, you know, the real big boys competition, the FIFA World, World Cup next year, facts. Lionel Scaloni. He started coaching Argentina in 2018, three years after playing for Atalanta. He's only 43, which I found was um, crazy. I, I noticed he was he had a young face, but 43, hella young. He probably played with Messi. So, like, he knows everything. Very, very young coach. It's kind of interesting to see that. I mean, when I think of young coaches, even Mauricio Pochettino, another Argentine, he's not the oldest, you know, in his right. uh, high 40s. But 43, super young. And... Hats off to him. I mean, he got my boy, my son, Giovanni Lo Celso, coming home as a champion. So hats off to him. He's good in my book. Yeah, man. 
So those are two summer tournaments that wrapped up. Another tournament got started this weekend. And just a quick run through of CONCACAF Gold Cup before the tournament even started. Uh, we were giving high praises to Curaçao for probably giving Mexico a bit of a run at this tournament. Turns out they're not at this tournament anymore. They had many positive COVID cases. So Patrick Clivert's side won't be, isn't at this tournament. They were replaced by Guatemala, who were the highest ranked team from the preliminary round. But it's the Gold Cup started with Mexico and Trinidad and Tobago from Jerry's World in Arlington, Texas, AT&T Stadium. Game and scoreless, 0-0. Trinidad steals a point off Mexico. Controversy here was Ricardo Montero of Costa Rica's refereeing to the point where we saw Irving El Chucky Lozano get absolutely mauled. He gets pushed by a couple of Trini defenders. And Marvin Phillips, the goalkeeper for Trinidad, he's just coming in with so much adrenaline because, you know, trying to retrieve the ball and stuff. He catches Lozano in the face. Lozano's eye looks messed the fuck up. Hate to see it. He got carted off the field. And that was no yellow card, no red card, nothing. There's VAR in this tournament, nothing. Unbelievable. That looked like a WWF moment. I was have like I was ready to hear Jim Ross commenting like, you bastard, he has a family. <laughs> You know, so that was nuts. I mean, jokes aside, that was he, he like I saw photos of it after he looked like he got jumped by like four dudes, uh, eyes bloody red. You know, like he got carted off. Um, again, the match on scoreless Lozano will miss the rest of the tournament, but hopefully, he does get back soon. He puts on the Napoli shirt again sometime in the not too distant future. Homeboy had a neck brace, which is just wild, but. Um, yeah, you don't see that often, you know, nah. and you hate to see it. So prayers to him and prayers to his family. And hopefully he gets, you know, well soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you said something about Funes Mori? Argentina, go ahead and win that first uh, Copa America since 93. As soon as Funes Mori switches nationality. Ain't that something? But what, what does that say for Jorginho and Emerson? The Brazilians jumped ship, went to Italy. Wow. So they're quite the opposite. They're good luck charms for Italy and bad luck charms for Brazil. <laughs> So Group A ended on Sunday night. El Salvador defeats Guatemala. Again, Guatemala just came into this tournament randomly. They fall 2-0 to El Salvador, who now top the group with three points. Mexico and Trinidad have one. Sunday after the Euros saw Group B kick off, and Martinique began the scoring. Emmanuel Rivieri, who plays for Crotone, scores early. Deficit for Canada lasted six minutes because Kyle Laren drew them level 1-1. Jonathan Osorio, he brought them at 2-1. at And then the goals just kept on coming for Canada. 4-1 final there. They are tied on points with the U.S. who defeated Haiti 1-0 on a Sam Vines goal. But Canada, because of the goals difference, they are top spot. Yeah, that's just the first couple games in the group stage. Group stage continues this week. We have to see Group C and D kick off as well. So Gold Cup, pretty interesting to say the least. And it's only been two days. But that's that. 
And without further ado, unless you have anything else you want to bring up, LV, I believe it is that time. You're telling me that it's BS of the Week time? <laughs> yes, um, I am. It's that time. Uh, I can't wait till we get a drop. It's coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> oh, that drop is going to be late. It's going to oh, slap. I have, a, I, have, I have quite a few, like I usually do. Um... First things first, Austin Wenger said there should be a World Cup every two years. Fans are asking for it. Um, do you want a World Cup every two years, Ovi? No, I don't know which fans he's talking about. Oh, he's not talking about me. I know he's not talking about you. <laughs> we don't have data expense today, but I'm sure he's not talking to him. Yes, he's imaginary fans. You know how uh, Trump used to be like, many people want this. <laughs> Where are the many people? <laughs> Where are they at? <laughs> I don't know, but I got to acknowledge that real quick. Keep the World Cup every four years. Keep the heroes every four years. That's what makes these tournaments brilliant. BS number two for me real quick, and then I'll let you give your BS. Neymar. Yes, I, I was smoking said Neymar loud peck, but um, I, I mean, you got to give it to Argentina. They they were the better team in this tournament, if you ask me. But Neymar, so we, so we, we were talking about this during the last episode. Gabriel Jesus with a damn near karate kick got a red card for it. And he got a two-match ban, which meant that he was going to miss the rest of the tournament, the semifinal, and the final itself. Anyone who saw that agree that that's a straight red. LV, am I wrong? He flew like Rey Mysterio and did the double chest kick. Another WWF reference there. And if you got a reference, the WWF, in regards to a foul, that should let you know how bad of a tackle it is. <laughs> Neymar says on his Instagram story, it's in Portuguese, but in translated English, it's very sad to be on the hands of the people who make this kind of decisions. The decision being to ban Gabriel Jesus. Too much ban with no appeal. Congratulations, Colmebol. I think you didn't see what happened right. You kidding me? You did ask here? I, I think, think everybody saw it. <laughs> Maybe Neymar didn't see it. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like we all saw what happened. Homeboy put a boot to the face, and that, and I, we don't know what happened. Like I, I don't know. Like it, it, what, what the fuck is this guy smoking? But um, he definitely got his two match ban. Kazuz himself also said that he didn't agree with the decision. But again, what are we looking at here? Like, come on now. But I had to give him BS of the week. I have one more piece of BS, but I'm going to let you give yours first. It can't be a Footy Misfits podcast featuring Ronnie where he gives uh, Neymar a compliment and doesn't give him some sort of BS. So, you know, all is right in the world. Uh, Ronnie balancing things out, giving Neymar a slight compliment early on, and then giving him some shit right here. Got to love it. For me... Uh, Two quick things here. We spoke about England making it to the final, first final in 55 years. Um, and in that time, we have seen just one queen uh, of England, Queen Elizabeth II, still standing. Uh, she was there for the last time England won a major international trophy, uh, much younger Queen Elizabeth back then. Um, however, Queen Elizabeth here uh, had something to say, came out the woodwork and uh, sent a message to Gareth Southgate. Uh, after they beat Denmark to make the final, their first final again in 55 years, as I mentioned. 
I'm not gonna uh, quote the entire letter, but it basically came along the lines of, she said that I was fortunate enough to present the World Cup to Bobby Moore 55 years ago, saw what it meant to the players, yada, yada, yada. She says, I want to send my congratulations and that of my family to you all, and then that you all, she means Gareth Southgate and the England team, and send my good wishes for tomorrow with the hope that history will record not only your successes, but also the spirit, commitment, and pride which have conducted yourselves. And I will say, one thing Gary Southgate has done a great job of uh, with this England team is managing expectations and pressure. Uh, he's, they said things along the line that they built themselves a little bit of a bubble in St. George's Park, and it seems to have been working. Uh, the only time I think that it affected them was the Scotland game, where the pressure was unbelievable. Now, my BS here comes that Queen Elizabeth, first of all, they ain't won in the final yet. I think it's a little premature to be giving some, ce some uh, celebratory messages. Uh, and I think that I th Queen Elizabeth kind of put the pressure on him there with that message directly to him there. And uh, unfortunately, it showed. Um, I wouldn't say it showed, but it didn't end up working out. And England lose in the final. There'll be no uh, presenting of any trophy to Gareth Southgate. Uh, so BS of the week. <laughs> to Queen, just Queen a runner-up medal. <laughs> yeah, just, just a silver medal. Um, and uh, being a Spurs fan, I've, I've seen Harry Kane have enough of those. But... The BS is not about me right now. It's about Queen Elizabeth. So BS of the week there to the Queen. Now my second BS of the week goes, it's a little more personal, it goes, uh, hits home to my club team, Tottenham Hotspur. And uh, post uh, Euro final, back on that club BS, and uh, I stumbled upon my chairman, Daniel Levy, in a TikTok video. Um, that's really it. <laughs> BS of the week. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Man, we need transfers. You're on TikTok, but that's all I got, Ronnie. Uh, one last BS of the week for me. Um, you watch Catfish, right? Is there Neve and Cammy? I love Neve and Cammy. What other MTV program do you like? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> remember when they were about the music, though? Yeah, I, I certainly remember. A long time ago. A long time ago. TRL was a big thing. And then they want to get into reality shows like The Real World. And the stuff Real like that. World. Next. <laughs> oh, my God. Next was a fucking crazy room, ass room show. Ra room Raiders. Yo, get out of oh. my room, fam. <laughs> Cribs. But could you imagine La Liga on MTV? Nah. Where are you going with this? The La Liga rights in India will belong to MTV starting this upcoming season. What? <laughs> La Liga rights will be on MTV in India starting this season. I saw that and I am like, what the fuck? Coming up after La Liga, Team Mom 2. <laughs> Man, this doesn't make any sense. Not How did this happen? All. It was big enough that La Liga came to the States on ESPN and got, a whole, got away from the being sports stranglehold, but MTV? I mean, if MTV is easier to watch than Bean, I get it. But still, MTV? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that BS writes itself. I don't know, man. Like, who gets BS in this situation, MTV or La Liga? India. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I don't know. La Liga. Definitely not M MTV. I mean, good on them for looking for the rights. <laughs> I have no idea. It's gotta be La Liga. I mean, this gives us precedence. 
I'm going to apply for broadcasting rights to a major competition coming up soon. Broadcast on the Misfits Instagram. So let's go. Yep, broadcast on the Misfits Network. Commentated by you, me, Spence, and my dog Otis. Well, I'm done. I'm TV well, and La Liga. A perfect pairing. I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, that being said, before this gets any crazier, do you want to sign us off? Done with the Euros. Done with Copa America. Onward to the Olympics and onward to the Gold Cup. Oh, wait. I think VH1 got the rights to the Premier League. Yep, I'm out of here. Right, have a good one. <laughs> for the Good Brothers LV, I go by the name of Ronnie. Thank you so much for listening to the Football Misfits episode 49. We thank you all, as always, for interacting with us on Instagram, where you can find your piece. And episode 50 is right around the corner. The big 5-0. The golden episode. We'll see you then. Adios, mi gente. Woo!